Greetings everyone and welcome back to the Random History Podcast. Today I will be consuming and hopefully finishing my series on the Napoleonic Wars, which I've been covering for the last month and a half to two months. And I'll be starting off today with the War of the Seventh Coalition, also known as the Hundred Days War. And this is eventually the period when Napoleon returns from his exile on the island of Ola and eventually is forced back into exile. And we'll start off with a bit of background. As you all know, after the War of the Sixth Coalition, Napoleon was forced to surrender. And after this point, Napoleon ended up being sent into exile on the Isle of Elba, which is off the coast of Tuscany. And it's roughly, I believe it's about 6.5, 6.2 to probably 6.5 miles or so off the coast of Italy. And at this point, he was just in exile for a while, but he only spent around nine months and nine to ten months on Elba. And at this point, a lot of stuff began to happen in France and in Europe. As current, as there was a, after the war, there was a lot of, well, there's now a massive power vacuum. And now there's a bunch of issues with land distribution and how are things going to go. So they ended up calling what is known as the Congress of Vienna. And all the major powers who ended up basically kind of helping you to the win the wars are now kind of bickering over who gets what. In addition, he also noticed the fact that his empire, his so-called Napoleonic empire, kind of just shrunk, and now it's just France again. And he also and the thing to know is that why the empire was kind of returning to its original size, the French people had a lot of issues with the current leadership under the the return of the Bourbon monarchy as they were not being they were not really treating the veterans well and the people as well either. And soon enough, the powers who had defeated France came together at the Congress of Vienna. At this point, they were on the verge of war. And basically, by this point, Napoleon saw this as a great chance because, oh, look, all these nations are basically at war. The people support me. They would totally basically help me in my uprising. He also felt that all these prisoners who are returning now that the war is over would give him a massive army. And this army would be far larger than anything he ever had before. And soon enough, there was actually a lot of threatening. There was actually, like, some people viewed him as a pretty big threat, so people were basically suggesting, like, oh, we should deport him to the Azores, or we should deport him even further, we should deport him maybe to St. Helena, far away from us. And some were even thinking maybe we should assassinate him. And at the, and I'm going to talk a bit about the Congress of Vienna now. And at this point, the Congress of Vienna was, I think, probably around six to four months now, at this point, all, as I mentioned, all of these different big powers had all these different goals. Tsar Alexander wanted to basically control most of Poland and maybe leave a small little puffish Polish buffer at the Duchy of Warsaw. And Prussia wanted all of Saxony. And Austria's like, okay, I don't want, I don't want either of these guys to get that land, but we want to control in northern Italy. And then the United Kingdom actually ended up supporting France, and or one of the men who was representing the United Kingdom was supporting France and Austria, and he was at the odds with his own little parliament group, and there was kind of a lot of issues. And this, there was almost a war at one point when the Tsar pointed out that he had almost half a million men right by Poland and Saxony, and he's like, basically, if you want to get the land, come and get it. And soon enough, people be this kind of, this essentially this conflict and conflict between them continued to happen, but eventually they kind of just, they kind of just kept doing stuff, and why this happened, Napoleon ended up solving his problems in a pretty, I would say, Napoleonic way, and by the 26th of February, 1815, while the British and French guards were pretty busy, he ended up slipping away from his his home on board the French brig, 
known as Incons Inconstant. He did around a thousand men. He ended up landing around Gulf Juan, which is on a it's on the it's on a seaside resort in France. And he was pretty much warmly received, with the exception of the royalist held lands, mainly in province, and actually cutting around province so that he could cut through a more friendly territory. And this today is known as the Route Napoleon, which I think is kind of cool. And soon enough, his soldiers were not even basically forced to fire as his armies began growing. Basically, every single man or every single troop was essentially destroying him because they all liked Napoleon. He had been their commander. By the by, the fifth of March, the pretty royalist fifth infantry ended up joining him. Soon enough, he got the seventh infantry, and actually, interestingly enough, the man who led the seventh infantry ended up being executed after the campaign. And this is little cool anecdote I feel, which kind of shows how much his men cared for him and how much his men, how charismatic he was. So when royalist troops were deployed to stop of March of Napoleon's forces at Lafayette, which is near Grenoble, he stopped down in front of them, ripped off, opened his coat, and said, basically, if any of you shoot the emperor. Shoot his emperor, here I am, and all the men joined him. And Marshal Ney, who was the um, leader of, who was a commander under Louis the Eighteenth, I believe, is the current was the current Bourbon prince. Basically, said that Napoleon should be brought to the K and Paris in an iron cage, but he soon enough joined him as well. And they continued to pro proceed through the countries and basically just promise all these things to the assembly. And at this point, all the crowds are like, "Oh, yep, we support Napoleon again. We don't like the royalists." And at this point, he ended up reaching the capital around the 19th of March. And soon enough, the royalists tried to raise a small force, but eventually they basically just gave in. And soon enough, they ended up kind of giving in to them. And, so, and at this point, interesting thing is that there was actually some issues or like not necessarily issues, but some conflicting evidence over whether or not Napoleon was having health problems. Some at Elba, he had become pretty inactive and was pretty much um, a little bit obese at that point. And soon enough, he began to suffer from various issues. He also had hemorrhoids, which made it hard for him. Some of the horse had some disastrous roles later. However, as others say that these issues weren't really a big deal. And soon enough, Napoleon had some committed some reform to the government. And soon enough, he en there was an election which actually ended up leading to a group who, like, he had some issues with some people who were opposed to being elected. However, he ended up not really bothering them that much. He ended up starting mobilizing for war. As during the Hundred Days, both the coalition nations, the Seventh Coalition at this point, Napoleon mobilized for war. And by the time he reassumed the throne, Napoleon basically realized that, oh, Louis Eighteenth has not really left me with much of an army. As they only had around 56,000 men. And only about 46,000 of them were really ready to do anything. And by the end of May, his forces were probably around 198,000. And they probably have a around, I bet, 60,000 or so, give or take off the top of my head, ready for the, the join them in a bit once they were done joining. By the end of May, he had his own army of the north, which he would lead by himself. And this would be the force to participate in the Waterloo campaign. And he also, at the same time, was like, I need to protect France. So he ended up leaving his remaining forces within France to basically delay his enemies, while he, his foreign enemies, while he suppressed his domestic ones. So he had the V-Corps near Strasbourg, the, sorry, the, not the V-Corps, the Five-Corps, then the Seven-Corps stationed at Lyon, Lyon, I believe pronounced, then a Corps of op, the first Corps of Observation at Belfort, the second Corps of Observation at Toulon, and the third Corps of Observation at Decane, or no, at Toulouse, and the fourth Corps, Apropolisian based at Bordeaux. I actually had to write that down because that is a lot of similar names. And he also had the Army of the West, which was 
in this in kind of in charge of loyalists, dealing with these loyalists and royalists or in various areas. And to oppose them, the coalitions had a force of Austrians and allied Germans under the control of Archduke Charles with some more Austrians on the side. The king, the Spanish king actually had British officers leading his force and then our Tsar Alexander of Russia had almost 250,000 men. And Prussia itself also sent more armies. And Wellington sent in his own British force as well. And, and eventually Napoleon had a series of different threats from the southwest. We got a Anglo-allied force, or a mystery of Anglo-Englishmen and allied men by Wellington, kind of at the southwest of Brussels. So at southwest was not more to his northwestern, got a Prussian army to the southeast of Brussels, and then close to the border of France, but much less of a threat. You got a German army and an Austri- a couple of other armies. And then there's a couple of other forces who were basically in the process. You got a lot of Russian forces, some English Sicilian forces, some Spanish group, a Dutch group, Prussian group. Basically, a ton of men are coming at him. Only a couple right now, and his plan essentially was, okay... It is my job to basically deal with my enemies one at a time, hopefully. Because by the soon enough, Napoleon had been declared an outlaw, actually, by this was happening. And would then end up signing the declaration, causing this is when the war begins. And basically, each of these European powers, they mentioned the pledge around 150k men. But at this point, thing to note, Britain actually could not contribute this much men. They had a lot of men scattered around the globe. So they ended up paying the other men to kind of hope. And soon enough, they begin to mobilize, and then actually basically it's like, okay, by the 1st of July, we want to invade France. I think, that, however, two of the commanders, one, Belusher and Wellington, Wellington's a pretty big deal, by the way, were not really happy with this, as they were basically like, okay, we're ready to invade in June. And the other guys are pretty far away, we just want to go now. I think, that, however, this, this actually this later invasion date, though it was unpopular with some commanders, was probably a good idea, as this coordination would allow it to... For them to all strike at once, so now Napoleon can't fight a bunch of small forces. Yes, their combined numerically superior force will fight Napoleon's very spread out, very small force. Which will mean that we can ensure that he will lose, and that they can also make it defeat defeating him, defeat him within the border. For it's also avoiding any costly defeats, but it also helped Napoleon because now he has more time to strengthen his forces and defenses, which means more blood more blood will be lost and more time will be lost. And now Napoleon had to decide, am I going to go on the defensive or the offensive? As defensive, his campaign for like plan for defense, it would be pretty similar to his 1814 campaign back during the Sixth Coalition Conflict, except now he has a bunch more men. His plan basically like, okay, we're going to fortify our cheap cities and put our main armies between them while we have a bunch of guerrillas that basically attack the coalition forces throughout but he chose to attack, and he's basically, okay, preemptive strike, hit them before they can get fully assembled, and he felt that. By destroying some of the major armies, he could basically bring the government to the peace table and get some favorable terms for himself. However, if he's like, planning, like, oh, if the peace was rejected, I'll probably just keep using the war, and I'm just going to keep defeating them. So his plan was, okay, I'm going to attack in Belgium first. This is actually supported, like, his intelligence basically supported his plan, to be honest. It was not, like, some crazy idea. It was actually pretty well thought out as he basically first learned that, oh, the British and Prussian are dispersed, so even though that's Belgium's where the, the main force is right now, that's probably the best prepared guys. They're very spread out. Secondly, a lot of the Belgian forces, they were not, a lot of the British forces in Belgium, they weren't, like, the cream of the crop. A lot of their veterans who had been fighting him before and had all the experience were often... Off were off in America because the War of eighteen twelve had been going on and they had not really managed to come home yet. In addition to this, the French 
Brussels was su somewhat supportive of the Silks French, so he thought that, oh, look, if I win, maybe they'll rise up and join me. And this led to the Waterloo campaign. There was also, this was basically, this is the main campaign. I'll talk a little bit about other campaigns after this, but I'm going to focus first on the Waterloo campaign. And this would go between the 15th of June and the 18th of, 18th of, 8th of July, sorry, of 1815. And this was fought between the French army and the Port of the North and two Seventh Coalition armies, one of which was an English allied combo and a Prussian army too. And initially, Napoleon ended up commanding his forces, but eventually, after the Battle of Waterloo, he retreated or kind of left for Paris. And at this point, they basically just fought a series, they just went through a series of generals. And by the 15th of June, this is when hostilities started at this point, the French drove in and they basically kind of just took out, not necessarily carried all of them, but drove out the French out, the Prussian outpost and crossed a river there and ended up securing his preferred position. And soon enough, the battles of Quatrain, Brasse, and Ligny happened. And these were just French successes. They defeated one of them managed to defeat well, hold and defeat Wellington, while the other managed to defeat Blucher. And on the 17th of June, Napoleon actually ended up leaving for the area a bit to pursue the Prussians. And then he also... Then he also took the other group and told them to pursue the willing the Anglo Allied force. And on the ninth of the seventeenth, the Anglo Allied force ended up basically turning and preparing for a battle right about one mile south of the village of Waterloo, where there's this nice gentle escarpment, and this would lead to the Battle of Waterloo, which, as most of you probably know, is where Napoleon was beaten. As this is a pretty famous battle. And the Battle of Waterloo, I'm not going to go too much in depth on it, as I don't want this podcast to go on for too long, because I spend all my time on the battles like I've done before, as, as I have previously done several times. This battle was fought near Waterloo in Belgium. Pretty, and at this point, the Anglo army, for, army just stood very stood fast against repeated French attacks, and until they got aided by the arrival of several different Prussian corps who arrived, arrived leading to a routing of the French army, and at the same, and similar, and similarly, at the same time as this happened, a man managed the another French general Grouchy managed to engage in a pretty su successful battle at Wavray, where he fought the Prussian rearguard. But this failed to keep the Prussians from going to Waterloo, and at this point, they ended up being forced to retreat back to Paris. And after the defeat at Waterloo, Napoleon, instead of basically remaining with his army and just like trying to rally them, he decided, okay, I need to go back to Paris. I need to get political support. As he failed to do so, ended up having to resign. And at this point, the coalition armies ended up pursuing the French to the gates of Paris, and they kept fighting and trying to delay them, which led to a lot of death. And while in Paris, he held on to his hopes of, like, basically some national resistance at this point. Both the public and the, um, at, like, basically both the will of the public and of the government were pretty much, yeah, I don't really want to keep fighting. And both he and his brother, like, okay, we maybe have a, like, they, he and his brother thought, okay, maybe we have a chance of going to, going to dictator, becoming a dictator, and basically controlling the, controlling the armies and saving France, but a bunch of everyone else is like, okay, that's not a good idea. And at this point, the minister of war is basically told Napoleon that, okay, our entire future depends on the um, legislative body, don't deal with, don't get rid of them. And at this point, it was basically like, okay, our best goal, we just want to keep what remains, we don't want to get wrecked by them in some horrific terms, so it's basically, we need to, I need to resign, so apparently, actually, cool little anecdote, Napoleon himself recognized that, okay, it's not really a good idea, and actually, he was pressed by his brother to dare, and he said, alas, I have dared only too much already, so soon enough, on the 22nd of June, 1815, he abdicated in favor of his son, Napoleon Francis Joseph Charles Bonaparte, which is a long name, 
but this is basically a formality as his son was living in Austria at this point. And soon enough, the French provisional government took charge, and their acting chief was Joseph Fouche, I believe it's pronounced. And at this point, initially, the remnants of the French army was commanded by Marshal Sal, while Grouchy was commanding the right wing, but at soon enough, Sal was ended up being relieved of his command, replaced by Grouchy. And on the 25th of June, that's happened the 25th of June at the same time, Napoleon just basically said, okay, dude, you really need, you need to leave France, not France, leave Paris. And by the 29th of June, the approach of the Prussians who were ordered to, who were ordered to seize Napoleon, either dead or alive, ended up causing him to move westwards to Rotary Fort, as he hoped that, oh, I can get to America, I can be put to in America. However, there's a blockade of Royal Navy ships, which prevented this. And soon enough, by the 7th of June, July, the coalition forces had entered Paris. As there was a couple of skirmishes before this, but there was not much really except... Actually, there was a couple of little things, so they didn't really do much but delay it. At the Battle of Roquencourt, a group of French cavalrymen ended up managing to wipe out... Not wipe out, but basically destroy a Prussian brigade. And then another skirmish, The a French command was defeated by... A French general was defeated by a... Prussian generals leaded forced them to retreat into Paris, and at this point, basically any of their hopes of holding Paris faded, and they ended up authorizing their delegates to accept capitulation terms. This led to the Convention of Saint Cloud, which is the surrender of France. And this was the end of the hostilities between the French and the arm and the armies under the Polish and English control. And soon enough, under the terms of this convention, the French army ended up having to leave Paris and crossing the Loire River, and the Allied troops ended up occupying a significant number of cities. And soon enough, two more men ended up, two more coalition armies ended up entering Paris. And at this point, the two the government chambers ended up basically terminating their temporary, kind of terminating. It. Okay, for now, we're not in operation. And soon enough, the government was basically closed for a while. And by the eighth of July, Louis the Eighteenth was restored to the throne. And at this point, the king was back in charge, and now we see them back in control. And soon enough, Napoleon ended up surrendering at this point. He's basically, he can't escape and he can't surrender. And he surrendered to Cap... He can't escape and he can't, sorry, remain, not he can't surrender. So he ended up surrendering to Captain Frederick of the HMS Bellerophon in the early morning of the 15th of July, 1815. And at this point, he got brought to England, where he was then exiled to St. Helena, where he would die six years later. Talk about minor campaigns real quick. So when Napoleon had assessed that the coalition of forces were the biggest threat was basically the coalition forces in Brussels. The um basically all these other groups were really pretty slow to move around. So but there was still a couple of conflicts. There was a Neapolitan war, which was between the Napoleonic, his allies at the Kingdom of Naples, where his brother was in control, and the Austrians. And he, he fought for a while, and he was able to hold the Austrians off, however. He was eventually defeated after a decisive Austrian victory at the Battle of Tolentino, where Ferdinand the Fourth Ferdinand the Fourth was reinstituted to the throne. There was some issues with the Civil War, and there was also a campaign in Austria, which saw a French victory as the last, really, pitched battle of the war. But still, once again, really saw the French lose because, well, they lost the war. And there's a little bit of action in Italy, but this was pretty minor. And there's also a little bit of action with some Russian men crossing the Rhine. But all in all, this this was mostly minor, and this led to the Treaty of Paris, 
And the last field action was the Battle of Issy, but after this point, there was a campaign of a, a series of siege, uh, sieges of fortresses. And by and it was not until the 13th of September of that same year of 1815 that the, they ended up fully surrendering. And by the 20th of November 1815, the Treaty of Paris had been signed, and this brought the Napoleonic Wars to the formal end. And now I'm going to talk about the effects of my next podcast, but for now, folks, I'll... This is the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening, y'all.